Hopefully that's fine. Who can say? All right. Could have tested it at some point today. Yeah, probably should have. But you know, what's the worst? Not a waste to get to sit here and chat enjoyably with my friend Abe. I can finally yeah. get out all the bad that's been building up inside of me for the last <laughs> month. <laughs> here we are, Abe. Cast Iron Brains. A podcast that was 12 years old in 1995, the last time the Atlanta Braves won the World Series. By some strange coincidence, I have long held that 12 years old is the perfect age for a person's favorite baseball team to win the World Series. Because at 12 years old, it is still permissible and still possible to believe in magic. To believe that there is such a thing as the right side, and that the right side won. To believe that being good enough, trying hard enough, and most importantly, believing truly enough can will a team into a championship. To believe that a single swing can carry with it some measure of justice, can somehow itself be righteous and good, and can deliver on a promise made to a city, to a state, to a disparate group of people spread across the country, united by their fandom, can make good on a promise made to a 12-year-old boy when he was only five or six years old, watching from a thousand miles away. The promise that, if you believe, it can be so. A promise of hope and of possibility. A promise that invents faith, invents it right there in the heart, that lights that little flame and closes the door, and promises to come back for it one day, that if you keep the flame burning, you will someday be rewarded. But of course, it's just a game. Promises don't matter. Wanting it doesn't matter. A game of seemingly arbitrary bounces and random luck. A game subject to the capricious whims of fallible men, their faulty judgment, their punishing subjectivity. There is no magic here. Just the same elemental, physical, deterministic rules that govern the rest of the universe. But when you're 12 years old, maybe you don't know yet that all that grasping for control is for nothing. You don't know yet that we are all floating on a vast ocean, subject to currents and forces that we can't possibly comprehend, that the will itself is a neat trick we play on ourselves, some sort of adaptive function of the brain to make the whole endeavor seem worthwhile, to give it meaning, to get you up in the morning, to give you some idea of you. At 12, you can still believe that winning the big one is a consequence of something more than a long line of dominoes knocked over by a random number generator started a billion years ago. And if there is some magic, the magic must be in the game itself, because 26 years later, the game can convince you that the very best players, if they believe it truly enough, can walk up to the plate and just decide to do what must be done. The game can revive the 12-year-old inside, can remind the adult that it wasn't always exit velocity and defensive positioning and endless strings of statistics and probabilities and metrics, that the magic is in the not knowing, that the magic is in the constant disappointment, the magic is in the punishment and suffering of losing over and over again, the magic is in the unkillable belief that the game brought to life in you, that no amount of failure can extinguish. That hope may be rarely rewarded here, but it's never wrong to protect it, to keep it alive, to keep it safe. Because even if it is a mechanistic world, random and predetermined all at once, 
Sometimes the mechanism clicks into place in a way that feels right, that feels like the whole thing has been arranged just for you. If that happens all the time, all that winning can turn you into an insufferable little tyrant. But if it only shows up every 30 or 40 years, it just feels like magic. My name is Bob, sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host, that's Abe. How you doing tonight, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Yeah, here we are. Lori's here too. How you doing, Lori? I'm good. Done with baseball. How dare you. Today is Monday, <laughs> November 15th, 2021. Almost a month since we recorded a proper yeah. episode of the show, Abe. I blame you, personally. <laughs> Some of the, I think one week one was week my fault. One week was Abe's was fault. The rest of it was you. <laughs> the rest of it was me and baseball. Not being able to handle your shit. I can handle my shit just fine. Thank you very much. <laughs> Uh, as uh, mentioned in the open there, the Atlanta Braves are world champions, Abe. How about it? The whole world. The U.S. and Canada. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what, what, what they call the, it was called the World Series even without the Canadian teams, right? Sure. There's, <laughs> not, right. Another, American. there's not another team in the world that <laughs> the could have beat the Braves. part of the world that matters. <laughs> Almost as ridiculous as the uh, Miss Universe. Let, our ha- sure let us have our little fucking parochialism here when it comes to baseball <laughs> of all the goddamn things. Thank you very much. <laughs> Did you not uh, predict, not that, just so you said at the top, all this is random, but like, didn't you say six? We did. Like we we said on the show before the World I, Series, yeah. our prediction, my prediction that I think that you just went along with was uh, Braves yeah, and six. Yeah, back, yeah. Also, yes. you... You won money on this game. I did. I had bet $50 way back in March of this year on the Braves winning the World Series, and that paid off. And that finally, that big bet, $50 turned into 550 and that puts me in the black in my uh, betting career, finally. <laughs> <laughs> A couple of weeks before Black Friday. Yeah. yeah. Not that that's I've, I've since... Yeah. I've already lost like a hundred of it since uh, <laughs> since that happened. Christmas is coming, and he's literally gambling away all the money. All the money, yes. <laughs> Do you typically just throw a few dollars before the season starts on the Braves, or was this like no, a, this is the first time I've first ever time. done that? I've never bet okay. on future baseball in that way, and I don't know that I ever will again because I spent the whole time like, do I have to now bet against the Braves? Just to cancel out the bad karma of having bet on the Braves at the start of the season. Right. Fortunately, of course, my rational brain knows that no amount of betting that I do on my <laughs> favorite right. team has any impact whatsoever on the actual that outcome you know of, of the game. You don't know. You don't know. Sure. But that I know of. It, it, it is amusing that even though you do know that, you still want to indulge in the ridiculous, you know, irrational side of it. It's like, oh, I got to do some sort of hedge. Right. Or I know we're. I know we're know, like two. What two weeks past the the Braves winning this whole thing? But man, was that fun! I uh... that was not fun. That was that was a lot of not fun that ended well. I don't know if you remember. Right. Yeah, but that's that sort of what I mean by the five fun. I mean, it's was not fun. No, game five was not fun, and I had become you know the way that you can get as a a sports fan of a certain vintage, you can become just absolutely convinced that even though your team has the advantage that there's basically no 
possible way that your team can actually win this thing, even though you're up three games to one. And that was how I felt after game four was nothing good can possibly come of this once again. And then it did. And what's funny is that you go back and you look at the Braves playoff run and they sort of dominated the entire way through. Like they didn't, right. They didn't exactly trail in a ton of games. The games that they lost, they lost handily, especially that, you know, the game five that we were talking about. But for the most part, the Braves kept getting out to early leads and they kept hanging on to those early leads as the playoffs went on. Like, that shit that I talked about, Will Smith, at, before the World Series, he didn't give up a run. Yeah, the whole time you were in very the negative playoffs, towards him. He had, he had a zero <laughs> ERA across like 12 appearances or something. He was fucking brilliant. And I spent the yeah, entire I, I, time thinking, that he yeah. was on the mound standing up and Ruining yelling everything. my hatred at the television with every pitch that he <laughs> threw. Uh. The, it, what's funny about Will, Will Smith is that I – hardly watch any Braves games except for the few that I actually went to watch in person during the season. So all I knew about Will Smith, besides him having a similar name as to the Hollywood actor, is you shitting on right. him. And then I'm watching during the... I'm like, man, this guy's not too fine. shabby. Like, I don't know what Bob Bob's is talking problem. about. He, <laughs> the answer is Bob. Bob is Bob's problem. That's right. Like, except that, like, the fact is, is that Will Smith for the last two months of the season was like terrible and just constantly getting into trouble. And it's just, I mean, not that this is a sports podcast. And even if it was a sports podcast, this is not the sort of thing that you would talk about on a sports podcast. What the world series that ended two weeks ago. No, but you just can't. It's so bizarre to think about these things in terms of what they really are, which is just truly random and completely beyond the control of even the people who are up there doing it. And it's almost more so in baseball than in any other sport. And it's probably why baseball will always be my favorite sport because the utter lack of control that the men and the the players that are up there actually have over the thing that they're doing compared to how much control that they believe that they have, (laughs) right? Like there's yeah. a similar amount of of hubristic athlete brain over in in the other sports in basketball and in and in football, but in those sports it it sort of makes more sense. Like the quarterback controls the exact direction of where the ball is going to go based on the way that he threw it. Right? Like you, it's it's yeah. just right. you can see the relationship there in a way that make that is comprehensible that makes sense. But when you think about baseball and it's a guy who's taking a ball that you can hold in your hand, like comfortably hold it in your fist, and he just chunks it at somewhere between like 90 miles an hour and 103 miles an hour from 60 feet yeah. away into a little three-by-two-foot square in front of another person who takes his bat and swings it through that and tries to make the timing work out so that the round ball hits the round bat in a way that the two flat surfaces that don't even really exist come into contact with one another at the exact right right moment for the ball to then go rocketing off at 115 miles an hour in the other direction. Like, it's just completely inconceivable that it could possibly work and that anyone could actually control any of that. But they really, truly believe it. You kind of almost have to... I I can't imagine being a player on, like, a team. I mean, baseball, they play so many games. So many games. And if you cleared 100 wins, basically demonstrating how great of a team you are over a very long period of time, a very solid sample size... And then the playoffs start, 
and then some team gets hot and you're fucked, right? Basically, that's it. Go home, have a good day. There's nothing you can do about it. Like, baseball is very unique in that way. Uh, football teams get hot, too. Like, you know, the, the Giants sometimes or, like, the, the Ravens. You know, teams get hot. NBA, it's almost always the top two teams that are expected to be good make it through. Right. Maybe it's because so, only but, there's, like, five players. That's what, that's what I love about, like, my, my being a Giants fan is that the two – Super Bowls that we have that I was really around for because I was like sure I was around in 1990 and that was that was yeah. fun as a little kid to see your favorite team uh, win the Super Bowl but like the ones that I was following are the ones from uh, uh, 2012 and, yeah. and 2007 and those two Super Bowls both hinge on basically impossible plays that no one really had yes. any control over right <laughs> like the david tyree helmet catch is just yes. weird random luck that should never ever happen right just pure bullshit right going up right. going up against a team that was like the most ruthless and methodical and they, and mechanistic they were like undefeated, undefeated. Right. yeah undefeated a perfect team and yet the stupid Whims of the universe show up, and David Tyree makes a yeah. random catch after Eli Manning should have the play probably should have been blown dead according to the rules yes. of the game at the time, right? Like there's he he was basically stopped, and then he completes right. that pass, and the Giants go on to win the game. There's something beautiful about how completely out of control the game of baseball is, and like you're saying about the hundred win team, this is this is easily the worst Braves playoff team in years in terms of right. like actual talent in terms of the number of games that they won in terms of your belief at the start of the playoffs that they could actually do something like the Braves there are Braves teams that won 103 games and uh sh- shit directly out of the yeah. out of the playoffs right right i mean since 1995 the Braves they went back to the world series in 96 they lost four straight after winning two in Yankee Stadium in 96 just a one of the most painful weeks of my life because I'm living... That's crazy. Up to, you're like, boy, everything's coming along, and then four in a row. Up to, and I live in the in the area, and I'm going to middle school with all of these Yankee fan assholes, right? So I'm like, I am yeah. living high here <laughs> in my knowledge that the Atlanta Braves are about to beat the Yankees. And right. then we drop four straight, and it's and it and it was four straight in the most unjust way possible, because there's it, in that in '96 is the Jim Laird's game, and whatever we don't need to rehash all of the bullshit ways that the Braves lost in 1996, and then they opened the new stadium, they opened Turner Field in 1997, and the Braves never won a World Series game in Turner Field. The place was it was 20 plus seasons. They went back that to true, they yeah. went to the World Series only once in that in that run at Turner Field and that was ninety nine and they got swept out of the World Series in ninety nine by the hated Yankees then too. And yeah, they won I think in that run they won they won the division I think ten times while they were still in uh Turner Field. You know, never won a World Series game there that whole time and it's just that was just a, a a team that just constantly won and constantly won and could never actually make it happen. And then you get to this year, and you're in the middle of July, and there was a great piece that I don't know if I shared with you guys or not. I know I shared it with my brothers. But uh, after Acuna gets hurt, the team is traveling. They're on the road, and they're in, they're in some – like Acuna is sitting there all depressed in the ballroom of some hotel – and he's sitting there with Snitker. He's sitting there with 
the the coach is Brian Snitker. He's sitting there with uh, Ozzy Albies and Alex Anthopoulos, the general manager of the team, comes in and he says, you know, obviously you're hurt and this sucks, but uh, we're going to keep it going and we're going to try to add to this team. And as dumb as it is, and and I'll post a link to the story. It's a it's a fun story. It talks about how how much fun this Braves team was and and the the sort of dudes that made up the team and what gave them their personality or what have you. But what Alex Anthopoulos did was he decided when his best player got hurt that he was going to try to win. And it's like, that sounds like, well, obviously he's the general manager of the team. Why wouldn't he try to win? But the fact is, is that in any given year in the sport of major league baseball, there's really only like half the teams that are actually trying to win. And by the time you get to the middle of the summer, it's something like maybe 10 or 12 teams are going to be actively trying to still win games from that point on. And the Braves were three games under 500. They had been barely keeping pace with the rest of the division all summer long. And Anthopolis was like, well, fuck this. I'm still going to try to win. And he remakes the outfield. He brings in three new players. He does it like twice because it doesn't work out the first time. And and that was all it came down to is he convinced the dudes on that team that this was worth trying to do. And the team turned itself around and it sneaks into the playoffs uh, after not being in that position all year long and fucking does the thing. There's no scenario where he thinks that this is all random, right? He, he was like, all the choices I made right. back then proved fruitful like in October, November. Like, I am a genius, you know? Right. All the things that I did worked yeah, out. And I'm so not, like, he's but not that's saying, how well, crazy people are. Like, and you can't yeah. say he's not wrong. Right, if right. he hadn't yeah. made the decisions, the thing wouldn't yeah. have happened. Right, because sometimes just trying, like, actually fucking matters. Yeah, but also the dominoes couldn't possibly have fallen the way that they fell if he hadn't gone out and gotten George Solaire, if he hadn't gone out and gotten Eddie Rosario, who had the best six-week run in in his life. Like, he will never come <laughs> close to what he just did, where everything that right. he hits is hit at, like, 110 miles an hour, and it doesn't matter if it's on the ground or in the air. It's finding grass or it's going out of the stadium. Like, he hit, like, over 400. Like, it was just spectacular. And, yeah, you're not, you are not going to see a it's not often that you see a Major League Baseball team that loses its best player, who's possibly the best player in all of baseball, that loses its starting ace pitcher in Soroka, who's one of the best young pitchers in all of baseball, that in Game 1 of the World Series loses the salty veteran in Charlie Morton, who had stepped up and become the ace of this staff, and still and still manages somehow uh, to win the World Series. It was just absolutely wonderful. And you went to the parade, didn't you? So, on the parade front, this is uh, so officially you did not on, go, correct? I, 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 some, some, somebody at work uh, scheduled a conference call like right when the thing happened. I, I found ways around it, mm. and, and I was able to uh, to attend. But somebody, somebody the at the, the fucking parade... Houston office, no doubt, scheduled it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just some random like from Ogden or something. They probably don't even know the baseball game even happened but the plan was this parade was they basically split it into two there was going to be one in midtown next to where i live and then another one uh near the stadium you know the that sounds uh, very atlanta that is the one of the more atlanta things i've ever heard yeah i didn't understand why they split it into two it's a stupid city but i was like okay they're 
they're carving off like an hour of parade here and then about an hour there plus like the ceremony. Right, like the big the big know. party will be outside yeah, the stadium. Right. Yeah. But basically as far as the parade route part, there's going to be equal time between both sides. Um, that did not happen. The Midtown Parade was one of the fastest parades I've ever seen. It, they just kind of, I think it literally lasted like eight minutes. They're just like, hey, hello, and goodbye. Just zooming right, right just, by. They just zoomed right by Peachtree. Basically, was, they had the, some ticker tape stuff. I mean, it was nice if you were just going to take a picture. But I was like, I've never been to a championship parade before. I guess they all kind of just, because all I see are pictures after the fact, right. like on the news, like when some other team wins it. So I was like, maybe this is how it is. Some of my friends were so upset <laughs> At the short shrift that Atlanta got, even though we're all Atlanta, it's so stupid. One of them is like, I'm no longer a Brave fan. He was like the biggest Brave <laughs> fan. Now he's just saying this probably for the next week or two. He'll settle down, but he was so upset that like, why did we not get the parade that they got? It's like we could have gone there, right? We just right, chose to come here. I mean, it's clear you don't you know? have the stadium, which is why. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. So basically, yeah, there's no place to end, you know, and so. They probably should have just had one, right? Just had the main thing yeah. there instead of splitting to two. Or but put it was your just stadium funny how, somewhere better. That might be good. Right. But, you know, maybe like Bob said, you know, they weren't winning at the TED. So yeah, they moved. Yeah, no. Turner you know? Field wasn't in a great location won. either. But like. Right. Turner Field could have been. It, Turner Field could have. I'm still disappointed at, at what ended up happening with Turner Field. I but. am too. I will say things have worked out for everyone, though, right? So the city of Atlanta gave all the tax breaks to the football stadium because you can repurpose. You can have the Rolling Stones and other things. You know, baseball stadiums are kind of hard to have other events. Right. You know, you can't have high school championship football games and stuff like that. So they devoted all the money there. The, break, the Ted Turner Stadium turned into a Georgia State football stadium. The neighborhood that used to always kind of suck – is it's a nice way of putting that and then Battery Park is doing okay. Are they cleaning up that, that neighborhood now? Oh, it is. It's like one of those. They, they've cleaned it all up. I mean, there's a, you know, a few corners where we may so, get shared. Soto Sopa kind of thing? South downtown South Park, Soto Sopa? Oh, yeah, yeah. Soda, whatever. Yeah, it's yeah, similar to that. But it kind of worked out for everyone. I know people were kind of upset about the Braves leaving. Even though, like I said, this is still Metro Atlanta. I know Cobb County is whatever. But it's like 20 minutes from here. Right. It's all fine. You know. And the Braves won, so you can't argue with That's it. Right. It all worked out for everyone. <laughs> can't argue with the results, I guess. Can't argue with the results. I like that. <laughs> There's no beating it. and like uh, mostly, There might be beating it, by the way, in January. Maybe. But what's funny, like I was excited. I'm not going to pretend like I wasn't excited. I was very happy. And it, it's one of those things where you watch – I watch a ton of baseball every single year and I don't watch baseball every single year because I hope or, or, or just because I hope that we get to October and the Braves will win a world series. I just love baseball, right? It's just a, it's a thing that I enjoy. It's a part of the culture that I'm happy to participate in, but I have like some deeply emotionally uh, unstable friends when it comes to sports. <laughs> like, and like, some. Some. Yeah, just a few. It's not just one or two. Right. It's yeah. some. Right. <laughs> and so, like, it is a great relief to me on a personal level that they didn't have to endure the psychological torment of losing again. Because I, 
like I live in losing, right? Like as 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 expressed yeah. on this show before, I would have been fine. Bob's a that, total loser. That, that losing, it would have. I would have. <laughs> I would have drank that pool of tears right down and swallowed it and lived with it for another season. And it would have been good. It's nourishing to me. It would have been fine. Now, it's not to say that I don't fucking love the winning as well. Don't get me wrong. But mostly my relief was in knowing that for my friends and their their well-being and these these people that I care about, that that the win happened for them. And I was very excited for my because then, when everything friends. sucks in January, they can say, "Well, at least the Braves won." Yeah, it's like all it is. Just oh, at least the Braves won. This sucks, but at least the Braves won. We yeah. got one. That's good. I think you're right. It, it is good to win, like basically, like you know, once every fifteen yes. years, twenty years, something like that. If, if you do win all the time, like those Boston no. fans, apparently they never won at all forever. And they were eating all the losses, and then as soon as they started winning, they became insufferable. So yeah. better just to kind of win every once in a while, yep, and and just kind of enjoy the rest. And it's like you just you just cannot overstate how fucking random and stupid it is, right? Like this is just. Yes. <laughs> I mean, as much yes. as much fun as I love watching the the sort of new baseball. The, the young players who get up there and are bat flipping and thumping their chest and are excited to be out there. There's only so much of that that is acceptable in a game that just constantly humiliates you, right? Like, yeah. like, like if you yeah. if you do that in April or May, like it feels stupid, right? It just it's just yeah. not okay. But when George Solaire gets up there and hits that ball out of the fucking stadium. Like just absolutely demolishes yes. that ball, and he stands there and and just throws his bat away in absolute disgust, at like <laughs> as though he were disgusted that he had to do the thing that that the Astros made him do. That he got up there and he was required. It was asked of him, and he delivered, but he wasn't fucking happy about it. But he did it, and he tossed the bat aside and thumped his chest, and then slowly made his way around the bases. And it was it's just it, the greatest thing in the world it's almost as if he's like saying how dare you like, right how <laughs> dare you <laughs> and freddie freeman and like i have this like i used to believe that chipper jones who's one of the greatest baseball players of all time he's a hall of famer he's he's my favorite hitter of all time probably and i used to believe that he could go up there and decide that he was going to end the game. Like he would go up there against in against the fucking Phillies in the 11th inning of a game and be like, "Okay, this has been enough. I'm just going right. to hit a home run now." And then every once in a while, he would do it, right? And Freddie Freeman is as close to that in a ball player that I've seen, where Freddie Freeman can go up there and he sort of decides I'm going to hit a double the other way right now because that's yeah. what my team needs. It's the best thing that could possibly happen for my team right now. And I'm just going to decide to do it. And that is an insane thing to actually yes. believe is possible because baseball is incredibly difficult and random and stupid. Right. It's, it's difficult to believe that because nobody would ever decide not to do that, right? Like they would always be deciding to do that. They wouldn't right. be like, ah, oh, fuck it. I'll let my team lose in the 11th right. inning. Right, except that, except that maybe you can sometimes, right? Maybe you can that there's something that happens. You're in the dugout. You get into the uh, 
on deck circle and and something happens and you start to walk to the batter's box and you just fucking decide it. And I'm not saying that that's possible. I'm saying that that's where the magic right. of the game lies is that that some right. somehow you can just decide it. And Max Fried in game six of the World Series after the near disaster that was that first inning walked off the mound after the first inning and decided he wasn't giving up any runs that day. And I don't care what would have happened if they had left him in to throw 155 fucking pitches, I think it would have been the same result. Max Fried was not going to lose that game. And it, right. that's what you watch the game for, is those moments of people seemingly to just wrest control of this uncontrollable universe from yeah. the forces of the universe itself and, and right. bring it to heel. And that's stupid, and I, I recognize that it's stupid, <laughs> but that doesn't like change the fact that that's how it feels when you watch it happen. Right. It's like, I recognize that I can't control it at all times, but I can, in certain situations i can will myself into controlling the moment it's actually god controlling it yeah that's that's probably it that's probably it yeah all right so it is halfway through november which means we are a couple weeks removed from the most recent elections that happened in this country uh but as long as we're here we might as well rehash what happened in virginia and almost happened in new jersey a couple weeks ago which is that, as predicted by me, though not on this show, I will admit that I think the last time that we talked about this on the show, I said, which would have been like October 15th, I said something like, I expect that the Democrat McAuliffe will win, and I don't see the uh, red wave coming in the way that, that some people were predicting. But then the next two weeks happened. And what happened in those in those two weeks after we last talked about this was some of the most awful campaigning that I can remember seeing. And I've seen a lot of terrible campaigning in my my congressional district has reliably been a crazy one. But McAuliffe spent the last two weeks of his campaign essentially calling the uh, Republican nominee, whose name I'm now just completely blanking Bob on. Bob Good. Um, Youngkin. Youngkin. There we go. Glenn Youngkin. I spent the last 30 seconds trying to talk my way into remembering his name. Not a memorable guy, turns out. McAuliffe tried to convince the fine people of the Commonwealth of Virginia that Glenn Youngkin, uh, beneath his sweater vest and his khakis, was hiding uh, KKK robes. And I'm not really exaggerating there. They were talking about how he's a Nazi in khaki clothing. They were talking... He went on... McAuliffe goes on Meet the Press that that last weekend before the election with Chuck Todd. And he goes on there and he raises the question, why does Glenn Youngkin have such antipathy for black women? Why does Glenn Youngkin hate black women? Is what Terry McAuliffe said on Meet the Press. As though it was believable at all that a guy who's running with a lieutenant governor who's a black woman has a a deeply held white supremacist belief and just hates all black women because he ran an ad with a a stupid suburban mom who doesn't like the Toni Morrison book Beloved, that that because this one particular mom that he used in one of his ads doesn't like the Toni Morrison book Beloved to be taught to her 17-year-old son, uh, 
then Glenn Youngkin must be a white supremacist and we cannot right. allow white supremacists to take over the state of Virginia. Like that was your closing message for two weeks. It was constantly, this guy is an evil racist. And that's not right. me exaggerating. I will post the ads. That's what the ads said. And Youngkin, on the other hand, was just saying, hey, let's make America great. This is a great state. I want to open the state up for business, and we're going to do a great job here in Virginia. I'm a happy, positive guy, and I'm not a racist at all, actually, as it turns out. And by the time we got to Election Day, I texted you and Lori the morning of, and I said, last-minute prediction, McAuliffe is going to lose. Youngkin is going to win. This has been a terrible campaign run by obviously dishonest people, that at every turn for the last two weeks of this campaign, McAuliffe has seemed like, and, and his surrogates, have seemed like liars. And, right. and they've seemed like obvious liars. And there's nothing that an electorate hates more than knowing that they're being lied to. Even the ones that are sympathetic to the underlying message, if you, you're being fed a pile of bullshit, like, and how is it that we get to 2021 and the lesson has still not been learned, right? Because if there's yeah. one lesson to learn from Donald Trump, it's that people do not like to be talked down to. They do not yeah. want to accept the same lines of bullshit over and over again. Now, it's ironic that I know it's a hard lesson to learn coming from Donald Trump, who who just lies constantly, right? Who lies with every breath that ever goes into or out of his stupid mouth. But he lies differently. And, and the political class of this country cannot, they still have not come to grips with the fact that for all of his lies, he told a fundamental truth about the rest of them, which is that right. they're all full of shit. And we can all tell that they're all full of shit, right? And Terry McAuliffe is, was just constitutionally incapable of recognizing that everyone else saw through his bullshit. And that's why he lost. What is it about the McAuliffe's of the world, I wonder what, why do they always use this, this person is either bad or he's associated with bad people and then hope that that is a winning enough argument. How, how many times has that actually worked, right? Instead of it being like It worked that time issues, in Alabama when the guy was like a pet, pedophile. Yeah, but If you're actually actively trying to seduce 14-year-old girls, then yes. Right. Okay. Well, but it that, that was like time. The, but that that story was kind of unfolding, and yeah, yeah, sure. The 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 campaign, like uh, was it Doug Jones? Like they would point to that, but then they would also talk about like just actual issues. Right. Doug Jones ran a happy, positive campaign right. about the happy, positive things he's going to do when he becomes part of the U.S. Senate. It was all nonsense, obviously, right. but because he least, wasn't in charge but, of the U.S. Senate. <laughs> but when you do that, at least people are like, okay, I can. This person is for this thing, right? So even if you're not into it, at least you know where they stand. But when you're like, this is a bad person, don't well, it's believe also all the like nonsense. Such old news that like negative political ads don't work, but they still continue to do them. I mean, it's this isn't last five, ten years. This this is forever. Negative political ads don't work. No, but. Negative ads will work if, if if you have a record and, oh, this person voted for the war and uh, the, the war has gone to shit. Yeah, but just and, attacking characters, not worked. But when it's just like this person is in love with Donald Trump, you know, or this person is, uh, you know, like a, a Nazi. Things that are not like actually true, but then you're like willing it into being true. And the by the way, the the polls, I mean, this is very early. This is only a year since 
2020 election, but the polls have been fairly accurate. I mean, I think the, the last poll that came out was Youngkin by one, and I think he ends up winning by two, right? So basically, right. it was pretty close. And I discounted those polls ahead of time and was still happy too. to ignore the polls because, first of all, because of what happened in 2020, but also because my feeling, which I still think is right, is that people who are motivated are more likely to respond to polls. And at, at this moment, the Republicans in this state are more motivated than the Democrats are. And that's a, a, in part a result of sort of this malaise that surrounds the Biden administration, who uh, rather suddenly after this uh, after this result in Virginia and, and what happened in New Jersey, suddenly found it in themselves to pass the small infrastructure yeah. bill out of After the— After all uh, the damage was done. Out of Congress, yeah, now that the damage Which, was done. Let the record show. I said no scenario where that doesn't pass. But it seems to be mm-hmm. a moot point now that all the damage has happened. The president is like, what, 10 points underwater? Like all the things—I mean if you timed it right— then you would get in front of all of right. the criticism. Like, not, oh, this, not, not they, to dump they, on your prognostication powers, nah, but nah. it Dave, was you're so it, smart. not only was it <laughs> not only was there not no scenario in which it doesn't get done. We, I think I, we managed to find essentially the only scenario <laughs> in which it could have gotten done, which is that the Democrats get hammered and and humiliated in the first election. Uh, but on the polling front. And and I, and I get your point. Uh, I, I don't trust it yet, but I do want polls to be more accurate. Not always, but like I don't like it when it's like, oh, we don't know what the fuck's going on. Like, right. you know, uh, but th- th- these campaigns must be doing internal polling. Like the McAuliffe campaign must have known you're eating shit when it comes to the school issues. There's a perception that. And I don't think he helped his cause because he was like, oh, parents should have no role. I think that they knew that they were in big trouble, which is why they doubled down on the thing that they think is going to work best for them, which is to try to anathematize the Republican Party and and to tie them explicitly to Donald Trump. Yeah, that worked in the beginning when it was a year ago from now. Yeah. It made sense to say, ah, that guy's a Trumper, probably stay away from him. But now that, like, we don't hear as much about Trump— so, like, why are you bringing it up? What does it matter if that guy's a Trumper? Like, back away. Right. But they're stupid. My, I have a client who is a former congressman, and I saw him the Wednesday after the election. Yeah. And he was like, what do you think went wrong? And I was like, you can't just tell everyone some guy's a racist when they're— Yes. Like, maybe if they are, they're like, probably not. And expect to win elections that way. Like, that's right. it. That's what it comes down to. Report back to me and, later. And importantly, you can't just tell everyone that this guy is a racist and also anyone who votes for him is a racist. Like, right. Actually, I could walk into that booth and ac- and fill in a bubble or another bubble, and it doesn't change anything about my character. That's true, yeah. Right? right. Like, and it engenders in a person the fucking middle fingers to come up. If you, if a- you say anybody who associates with this guy who doesn't really seem to be— an actual evil motherfucker, no matter what right. you say, uh, is also an evil motherfucker. It's a remarkably bad hand that was played terribly. Did the so, McCulloch so, campaign— So before you, before you finish that point, it actually yeah. wasn't a bad hand. Now, now The McCulloch hand? Like, hey, this guy's a racist? That hand? No, no, no. So, well, I mean, McCulloch's position yeah. as, a, as a Democrat in Virginia was not a bad hand. He turned it into a terrible hand, right? Like, right. The, this is a guy— now, granted, it is 
it, it was a difficult road to hoe because of the failure of the Biden administration to really get anything done. So he couldn't tie his he couldn't tie himself to Biden's coattails. That wasn't going to work. Right. But in Virginia, which is what this race should have been about, is what's happening in the state that you're trying to be a governor of and not what happened with the president last year. Right. And and to the extent that Anybody tried to not make it about that? Youngkin was explicit in saying the, that Trumpy shit from January 6th where they, they used the flag and pledge allegiance to the special weird religious yeah. consecrated flag. That is weird and bad and we shouldn't be doing that. That's what he said, right? So he is seemingly honestly distancing himself from the worst elements of the Trump people while McAuliffe just – seems to want to drag everything back into the Trump conversation when the fact of the matter is since the Democrats took over the state legislature a couple of years ago they did just off the top of my head two wildly popular things right yes. they legalized weed in yes. Virginia it's a slow process but basically the bottom line is le- weed is legal in Virginia now or will be right. in short order no it is now Right, but you can't go to a store and buy a pile of weed. It's not no, like Colorado. but it's still legal. Right, right. Right, <laughs> right. yeah. But that's yeah. what I mean. It's a, yes, it's a process, but the Democrats did something that is wildly popular, which is that they made marijuana legal yep. in the state. And, yep. and like vast majorities of people agree with that. At the very least, vast majorities agree that uh, people shouldn't be going to jail because they smoked some weed or they bought a little bit of weed. Number two, they ended the death penalty in the state of yep. Virginia, which is yep. another broadly popular thing. Did McAuliffe do that himself? No, but his no. party did. And yes. parties used to fucking matter, right? Like right. parties actually used to mean something. And so that you can you can run on the accomplishments of the people who are on your team, right? It's this right. weird tribal thing that we forgot the good thing about being part of a party and are only keeping the bad thing, which is the negative association of your, uh, of, of your perceived enemies, right? McAuliffe should have run a campaign that was like, Hey, the Democrats in this state have been doing great. And I'm happy to take back over the leadership role that I had to give up four years ago because of the silly rules about not being allowed to be governor in back-to-back terms. Right. right. I set us on a good path to set Democrats up in the state of Virginia to take over the state legislature where they then made weed legal and ended the death penalty. Two wildly popular things that we can take to the bank right now. And we're going to keep doing more and more popular things for the next four years. Vote for me. And instead he was like, that guy's a fucking Nazi. Right. And if you vote right. for him, you're a fucking Nazi too. Fuck you. Vote for me. That doesn't did work, Ma- man. Did, did McAuliffe at least make Youngkin take a position on these otherwise popular things basically like you're saying it should have been like let's not lose sight of the progress we've made on these issues he's going to take us either in the other direction or at least get him to commit to not changing it right i mean has has that did that happen like is young ken considering they had some back on back and forth on like uh bail reform and like these these very like weedsy things right. about like about process and and things that nobody actually fucking cares about, right? Right. Things that only actually the activist class <laughs> fucking right. cares about. That is true. That's what pisses me off. They're, people are so like in the weeds on like their pet issues that they kind of lose sight that most people aren't into issues like that. If you kind of give them the broad, you know, yes, on the weed death penalty, uh, like, I, I don't know, nonpartisan uh uh, district thing or you know something that's like okay something some uh, 
fairness into the system, you know, or allowing parents to have a voice, not the voice in schools, like things like that are basic. Don't get too caught up with pleasing somebody who's going to vote for you anyways, you know, like these people who are writing stuff. The other problem that I noticed from this, because I, I didn't know that the New Jersey race was going to be that close either. It seems to be, generally speaking, there is like this persistent discontent among the voters, right? It's like they're constantly tossing and turning. So when they're like, ah, oh, I don't like what's going on. Let me vote in for the other side, right? And then that, you know, goes for a year or two and they're like, ah, oh, I don't like it. So I'm going to flip over the right. other side. Like, cause it's, it's basically like, I don't like how things are going. So I'm not going to read into it why that <laughs> is. Just the party in office right now, fuck you, right? That's how and it is. And whoever's in office, right. you're fucked. But that's because we've built our entire politics around the other people being the end of the world if they come to power. Then you have to spend all of the time that the other people are in power insisting that the world is fucking ending. But that only seems to work for, you know, let's, if there's 100% of the voting population, 40, 40, 20, right? It's 40% they think the other side is bad. Right. And the same holds for the other side. But there seems to be this middle 20. There are people who, I mean, literally a year ago, 12 months ago, voted for Biden. Like, he won, like, what, nine, ten points, Virginia? Right. And a year later, all of those gains were gone in one year. Largely, according to most of what I've been reading, because the Biden people didn't show up. Like, it, it has but more to— it has more to do with uh, turnout. Yeah. Now, there was a great deal they of— They voted against Donald Trump in 2020— they didn't vote against Donald Trump in 2021 because Donald Trump wasn't on the ticket. Right. So and there's I was, a segment of voters who only show up when the house is on fire. Like, yes. they don't take any preventative measures oh to pr- make sure that it's not on fire. Like, the yes. reason, the reason yeah. that I made the prediction that Tuesday morning that Yunkin was going to win was because I woke up and I couldn't believe that I was going to walk up the street to my kids' elementary school and vote for McAuliffe. And I did it. And I right. <laughs> like I felt gross about it because yeah. he'd been screaming lies at me for weeks, right? And right. I don't particularly like him to begin with, but right. I I felt I could not give aid and sucker to the people who were pledging allegiance to the the flag that that flew on the Capitol on January sixth, right? Like I yes. I could not bring myself to like that became the single issue for me was that I could not bring myself. To to endorse that, even if it right. is only a sort of secondary or, or or tertiary endorsement of the Trumpening in any sort of way, like it, he he has anathematized the Republican Party for me, and and to 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 the extent that while I've never voted for Republicans, like now I have to actively vote against them, right, and in right. a way that I didn't feel like I had to five years ago, right. Um, and if that's the feeling that I have, uh, somebody who's like deeply invested in politics and, and, and in following this sort of thing, then I was positive that there were going to be enough people who were so turned off by the whole process that they weren't going to bother or that they were just going to vote for Yunkin and not really, not really overthink it. And that turned out to be Especially the case. Especially when it comes down to it, really, really, our lives are all the same. It doesn't right. and matter. And also – the it, it's still a divided government. I know that the what the lieutenant Is governor it? and the attorney general also went red, but like the legislative body, the legi- yeah, our, the House of Delegates flipped. Right. I think 
Yeah, so that they flipped one of the two houses of the Virginia State Legislature red. Right. And so, you know, who knows what's actually going to get done. I don't it think that It seems it will either be a stalemate or if Youngkin is more like open to kind of like finding some common ground, they'll pass some, you know, very benign things. But it doesn't seem like, you know, the sky's not going to fall in Virginia. Right. I don't particularly like the whole you can't run for re-election because I think it actually— You would prefer that people continue? I would prefer that that Yunkin could bill himself as somebody who can build coalitions and actually get stuff done in a divided government and and satisfy both sides of the of the political divide and instead he has no incentive to do that because like his he's not ever going to be running again the closest thing that he has to worry about in terms of his future political prospects is this idea now that people want to draft him to be, to run for president in 2024 which is very Relax. silly. He's going to have to raise his profile a great deal in order for that to happen. Well, my same, uh, the guy who was a senator, nope, congressman, he said, it's not scary. He didn't use the word scary. He said, we just don't know anything about him. Like, he could be fine. Yeah. He could be awful. From? Yeah, he could be, yeah. Nowhere. Like, but he's the, a robot or something. I, I mean, he's there was- He's a racist uh, robot. <laughs> there was, the, the last g- guy that this- Youngkin reminds me of is in Kentucky. There was like some. Oh, he reminds me so much of Economic professor, or whatever. Uh, and he just showed up and he kind of fucked things up. But I think because the legend, it was basically like the party controlled everything. So I think that's when you get into trouble with some random guy yeah. shows up. But I think in this case. He's a business guy. Yeah. Things He's should, one should, of many people who do business thinking that they can govern and it just doesn't work that way. No, I do wonder. It might be fine, but like it's not business; it's government. It's different. Yeah, there there are different objectives, but people like oh, this person's uh, you know cut trim the fat or whatever. I get why people are drawn to that, but in general, I don't think a person who likes business and that world is going to also like politics and govern government. Yeah, because government is about providing services. Well, the other one is making money. So fucking long, right? That's true. Do you think that this Youngkin, this strategy of like playing footsie with a Trump uh, side, but creating enough distance to where you know you're not tied to it? I mean, it, it worked. I mean, I mean, he won by like sixty thousand votes, but like it worked, right? Yeah. So, like, I wonder if this model is going to be repeated next year in the races where it's going to be close, like in the in the co- competitive districts, to say like policies, yes, but all the wacky shit, no. Yep. I think that at state at the state level it makes sense. I think that the more granular the 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 more local that you get, the more difficult it is to play those sorts of games where you're on you're straddling both sides of the Trump you have to fence. come out of the primary that's going to be very right. like you've got to you've got to come out of a primary against <laughs> yeah. a bunch of lunatics in all likelihood, right? Like there's because there's not going to be a bunch of Republican office holders or incumbents who are going to be able to do anything but sing the party line when it comes to the Trump thing, right? Like maybe yeah. you'll get some – maybe you can find some Republican challengers in relatively safe blue areas, say in northern Virginia, for an example. Abby Spanberger's – she's a former CIA agent. She's a, a Democrat who won in 2018, uh, a previously reliably red district. You can see some – sort of non-Trumpy Republican trying to straddle both both sides of it there. 
But I don't think that'll be the case. I don't think that will be the story of the 2022 election. I think the story of the 2022 election will be another referendum on on Trumpism. Right. And I, and it will be treated as it will certainly be treated as that. And when the Republicans retake the House, there will be this mounting panic once again about about the rise of Trump and how his his return in 24 is inevitable. On the 2022 front, uh, all signs point to a shellacking for the Dems and the, the Republicans are at least going to take back the House. The Senate seems to be a flip of the coin, but that could also in a wave kind of thing go red. I still maintain that that's not going to happen. But basically, the prospect right now is like right after – it's like the Braves right after Acuna went down. <laughs> like right. Things so are you're, looking you're so fighting, bad. You're fighting not just all of the available evidence of the last Even 11 months. Even the redistricting, months. everything is going the wrong way. Right. Yeah. You're fighting a, re, uh, a redistricting map that they've already, according to a, a piece out today in The Times – They've basically already won the house back, if you believe the piece yeah. in the times. If everything else stays the same, yeah. Right, and and you're fighting history, which is that yes. in the in the off year elections, the president the gets fucking shellacked right. every fucking time. Right, it's just a question of how bad is the shellacking. Right, and I'm saying, despite all evidence, that's not going to happen. This is this is how you come back from your infallible aim of the, the is, 2020 cycle. I don't know what cycle. you're doing. You're kneeling. So I don't think that the whole CRT, the the critical race theory silliness, had too much to do with the result in Virginia uh, a couple of weeks ago. I think that the more correct read on what happened here, if you're going to put it on the parents and the schools it's the fact that covid shut down the schools or that the governor decided to shut down the schools for almost a year no he didn't did he many school districts were shut down for extended periods of time including was that his call yeah including well after it was no longer his call the democrats in charge of the northern corner of this state Mm. outside of dc continued to keep the schools shut down so you heard all about Loudoun County and, and Fairfax, yeah. Virginia, and all of that stuff. This was a rebellion against not necessarily the inclusion of critical race theory, however you want to de- define it, in the curriculum of schools across Virginia. It was the fact that uh, schools were shut down across yes. large parts of Virginia. And that fucking sucks for people, right? Yes. It made life way more difficult. And they could point to the people who were in charge, which was the Democrats, and say, eh, I think we'll move on from you guys, right? right. I, th- I think that this was not – this was fine. Or and maybe it's not your fault there was a virus and all of that, but we're, we'll try something else on. Right. At least it motivated the people who aren't for that to show up to say, fuck that. I assume that – Maybe that's why New Jersey was closer than it should have been. A lot of people that didn't like all of the precautions, you know, because of the pandemic, right? Right. This was all about COVID. So all of the analysis afterwards about this election in New Jersey and in Virginia focused on all of these like small granular little issues with the the stupid CRT stuff and the fights at the school boards and and even the school shutting down – 
and the economy and all the rest. It wasn't about it, – it, it's one word, and the answer is pandemic. The answer is COVID. Yeah. And the party in charge was going to pay for it one way or another. It's the same thing that happened. It's the same exact story as what happened in 2020, which right. is that people held Trump responsible for a failure to respond. So he didn't win. And and to the extent the Democrats got hammered in 2020 in the same way as Trump did, it was because they were in charge. We were, we were a, a nation furious about the response to this virus in large part because the response was fucking terrible, right? Right. And that, that goes for whether it's economy stuff or school stuff or anything else. We are going, we are going to continue punishing the people in charge as long as this goes on because nobody in charge seems to have a handle on it. Right. I, I think they should probably just go back to 2018 like that congresswoman from Virginia where basically all of the issues were just local. And like they won 40 seats, but there were mostly razor thin margins. You know, they got 40 seats, but it wasn't like landslides at these races. So just focus on your district. Just talk about whatever nonsense your people are into. Yes, that's very smart, Abe. But instead, they're not learning that lesson. Instead, right. the lesson that is being learned, certainly if you pay attention to national media, is that Republicans are irredeemable racists. Right. <laughs> that I, anybody, anybody who questions how the school is teaching their children about fucking race essentialism are themselves the racist, right? Right. And that— there's nothing that nothing else can be learned from what's going on here. Right. And it just there's a tweet from uh Jay Kang who's a, a writer. I guess you'd call him heterodox. He's like he's a liberal. You can't call him a conservative although he's rejected by your typical pile of liberals. Because he's not liberal enough. He's not liberal enough. He, in the same way that this stupid university that they started in Austin that, that yeah. Barry Weiss is trying to start in Texas, it was reported on as a as a group of conservative thinkers uh, who got together and want to start a university. And then you go down the list and there's like one or two actual conservatives yeah. on the list. And everybody else is would describe themselves as being like a lifelong Democrat or a lifelong liberal. Like, right. but but because they do not fall in lockstep on the only thing that matters, right? The only thing that matters is having an orthodox view, a, a politically correct view on issues of race and how we talk about race in this country. If you have ever expressed any amount of skepticism about the 1619 Project, then you're not actually a liberal. You're no longer right. in good standing in the tribe, right? Yeah. And Jay Kang had this tweet, which I thought was very good. He says, there's this very weird disconnect between the way people on here, meaning Twitter, talk about some of the anti-racist curriculum stuff which is to mostly ignore the actual content to speak more broadly about CRT panic, which I agree is terrible, and what they actually think about that curriculum. Anecdotally, I am not white or conservative, and the fellow parents I talk to about this stuff are not white or conservative, and I don't know, at some point, it seems worth looking at some of these programs. What he's talking about is something that is true, which is that if you look at a lot of the stuff that comes down the line, it comes out of like a, a DEI program or something like that, or the anti-racism stuff from, from Kendi or from Robin D'Angelo, most normal people read that stuff and they say, well, that's kind of fucking stupid or right. that can't, that's not actually true, right? We don't actually buy into that. This is not a good – but the moment that you then take the step 
back from the specifics and 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 painted in a general sort of way as being but this is anti-racist, right? But this is good. Then people are less likely to condemn it, right? So it, right. it gets by on the sort of generalized idea that they're just trying to do good in the world. And anybody who speaks against it and points at any of the particulars is allowed to then be branded as a racist. And it, in an important way, the CRT panic was a dishonest branding exercise by that Christopher Rufo asshole, who's just this little fucking conservative dweeb. Is he the one that sowed all this uh, chaos, or just he tapped yeah, into he something? Even, he even tweeted about the way that he was going to turn everything that he doesn't like about the liberal project and, and, and hang it on the banner of critical race theory. That basically he made that those three words poison, and it— and, and yeah, it was a dishonest branding exercise by that asshole. But to insist that it's based on pure ephemera is to either lie or be entirely ignorant about what's actually happening in the world. Right. And why do Democrats insist on that position? It doesn't make any fucking sense. Why do you insist that the people deny the evidence that is before their eyes? We just got done with four years of Donald Trump insisting that the people deny the evidence that is before their eyes. And your response to that is to double down on it? If you pretend that it's all just lies made up by evil white supremacists, that might feel good when you're home in bed. It might feel good when you're tweeting about it with your fellow journalistic assholes. When you're talking amongst yourselves, that all can feel good all day and all night long. But the right. results are terrible for your team. The results, the pra- and if you believe any of this stuff that you profess to believe, then it's not just bad for your team. The practical results are actually bad for the world that you want to create a around you, right? So right. maybe this is just the wrong fucking tack, but it doesn't seem to matter as long as they can get back on Twitter and jerk each other off the next yeah. day. Yeah, it seems like that people are in it for that more than they are for actually winning because even though Young Ken seems, I mean, I don't know much about him, but he seems to be fine, relatively speaking, it's concerning that a year removed from 2020, people are already going back to that well where a lot of bad behavior has been not punished, right? Basically, it seems like all of the stupid stuff that's happening at the margins is fine. People will still show up and vote. And I'm not sure if that's a good thing to send as a message to other yahoos because like, there is no cause to bad behavior. Some, the Democrats will never do something stupid and we'll get back in office. So we can do all the fucked up shit and we're one year or one election cycle away from getting it back, right? And so this Twitter argument they're trying to win is not important. You should just focus on how to win elections and, and, and be done. And instead, what they do is they invent whole trains of thought in the minds of their perceived enemies and in, in where their perceived enemies are like 40% of the country, right? So there's this uh, other asshole on Twitter. His name is Will Stansel. He's just some fucking writer. Okay. But he's like, you know— Tens of thousands of followers. He's, he's in the tribe. He, he's on the right team right. for the journalist Twitter. He says something in a long thread, and I'm just going to read the last of it, which is, it's hard to sort all of this out until you realize that the thing that predicts these views, and he's talking about the 
the people who object to CRT, who object to the wokeness and identity politics and all of that. The thing that predicts these views isn't so much political ideology, but the social status, race, and often the gender of the people who hold them. This isn't about ideology. It's about status threat, which crosses party lines. So he's saying that all of this comes down to your race, your gender, and where it is that you imagine you sit in the culture. And, and he gets thousands of likes and retweets. Right. And there's no, there's no criticism of his position that uh, everybody who's not on my team is an evil motherfucker, right? And it makes me insane because this is a, the, the most highly educated, uh, allegedly smartest group of people in the country who are just sitting there inside their happy little cocoons painting the windows shut. With right. the spendings of their fucking masturbation. They're, right. they're imagining the internal workings of the people that they don't care for and imagining how right and smart and good everyone in, on my team is going to think that I am because of my willingness to condemn these other idiots. Yeah, and it's, it's just like, – it, it's no way of achieving anything right. besides uh, self-congratulatory masturbation. Right. It's very a very myopic outlook. Um, I just don't know – how you can experience the elections that just happened and think, oh, we had the right approach. It's just there's just a lot more racist out there. It's like, no, no. Even if there were, these are the voters out there, right? These are gettable voters, and you're just dismissing them for no reason. There, and, th there's that. There's the Simpsons meme of Skinner under the tree. It's not me. Oh, it is the yeah, youths yeah. who are wrong, right? Am I out like, of touch? It's like, no, it's, yeah. Right. They, like, they just don't get it. Like, and... Do you want to be right or do you want to, like, actually get something fucking done, right? Right. Like, at some point, you have to play in the fucking sandbox with which you are presented. Yeah. Or, yeah. or else you're just not going to be in the sandbox, right? Right. There is a, a lack of humility in that, right? Because if you're not recognizing that this is a fucking fragile, razor-thin majority we have, like, the wind can blow any which way and you lose it all— uh, Supreme Court justice with all this fuck could die like in 2023 and now the you know like even that like the Supreme Court that's not an enough uh, a big enough issue to get people to come out to vote like it seems to be people are very fickle and very like transactional well I d voted for you a year ago and you haven't done shit in 10 months like fuck you like it's a longer runway. It takes a little bit long. You have to kind of participate in the process long enough to kind of see it through. And people are not interested in that. At least not enough people are. Right. And so instead they're trying to win some stupid right. And this is – my take here is partially, I admit, my own little morality play that goes on in my own stupid little head, right? Which is that I'm glad to see the Democrats get punished for failing to learn the lesson that Donald Trump – was teaching us for the last five years, right? Like there's to, to, to an extent that I can convince myself that that's what happened. Then I then I hope that that provides an opportunity for the Democrats to finally learn that fucking lesson. But nothing about the last two weeks, with the small exception maybe of them passing the infrastructure bill out of the right. house and and putting it on Biden's desk today, and he and he signed it today. Um, but I think it's too little, too late, and I, I, I'm not sure that it's going to matter in 22. But and I, it, in and I don't see year, how. I don't see how right now. There's I see no path to 
a Democrat winning the White House in 2024, no matter who it is, whether it's Biden again, and, and the nightmare scenario, of course, is Biden against Trump. But Kamala Harris is not going to win. I don't think Pete Buttigieg is going to win against like a, a Ron DeSantis or in, a, in some other weird scenario, either a Trump or a Youngkin or, or whatever it turns out to be. Like Larry just, Hogan. Or, right. Even a Larry Hogan. Although Hogan just screams to me the sort of person who gets thumped by Trump in like oh. the first month of the primaries. Yeah. Um, he, he's open to ridicule. It didn't seem like he, he would handle it very well. Also, since we were last here, uh, big developments on the child vaccine front, which is that the FDA approved the – I forget up, the exact – Five to 11? Whatever the order of operations was, it was either the FDA first and then the CDC oh, or the CDC yeah. first and then the FDA – um, but ultimately, this has been approved for emergency use in uh, children ages 5 to 11, uh, specifically the Pfizer vaccine, specifically a one-third dose of the normal human-sized vaccine uh, spread out, uh, two one-third doses spread out three weeks apart, uh, just like the Pfizer vaccine was for the, the grown humans. And it appears that something like between 25% and 33% or so of parents are super excited and happy to get their kids vaccinated against the coronavirus. And then another third or so are completely opposed and will definitely not do it. And then another third are going to take the wait and see approach. And up front, to be clear, not that everybody needs to know our children's medical histories. Our kids got the vaccine on Saturday, nice. or, no, Sunday. Sunday morning. First dose of the Pfizer on Sunday morning. No bad effects? Which, uh, Everything's okay? They seem fine. No, yeah, totally fine. No uh, slightly sore arm for Calvin most of the day. Calvin didn't appreciate his arm being squeezed today. <laughs> yeah. But other than that, Which totally after fine. after being punched in the arm by a client in a joking way. Yeah. The day after I got my vaccine, I relate to that. It's like, ow, <laughs> yeah. that was that was actually really mean right. what you just did. But thanks, you're great. <laughs> Pediatrician's office had a, a drive-through clinic that was run by the Virginia Department of Health. We were in and out of there in like 30 minutes, so we didn't have to do any goofy uh, hangout in a we line for six hours. Didn't even have to get out of the car if we didn't want to. That's right. They also had an ice cream truck set up so that so at we did get out of the car. 9.30 in the morning on Sunday, in order uh, as a reward for getting your vaccine, you could also get yourself a, a free uh, ice cream cone if you wanted. 9.30 in the morning and 39 degree weather. Yeah, which is what we did. And what's funny, what I, what I think would be a good joke is that for the first shot of the vaccine, they're like, here, yeah, have some ice cream. And that encourages you to come back. <laughs> In three weeks, because yeah. you're like, oh, it's fun, you know, carnival, yeah. fucking ice cream. It was a good time. But then after the next shot, they're just going to, like, do corporal punishment to them. Like, we, they don't know what's happening. <laughs> but, but instead of ice cream next time, there's going to be some sort of physical abuse. Right. I'm almost certain of it. <laughs> One thing that I'm not looking forward to, though, I mean, what I am looking forward to, of course, is my children having some degree of protection against a virus that doesn't seem like very much fun to get. Yes. And uh, to stop them from spreading it to more vulnerable populations, uh, of which they are not a member uh, themselves. What I'm not particularly look looking forward to is the inevitable 
crashing of the discourse around this subject, this subject being child vaccines against coronavirus, into the inevitable moralizing, judgmental grandstanding that's coming uh, Do you mean on on many sides? This on many sides, specific age group five to eleven, or just like five to seventeen? Just like the overall under like seventeen, specifically, especially the younger set. Okay. Um, and why do you think that? So I was. Do you think that that's actually going to happen? Because in my, I mean, I don't have any kids, but like, and if I did, I would get them vaccinated. But like, this age group, they are a blip on the radar right when it comes to the overall issue of this uh, virus and so as long as as long as we are living in a world where some large percentage of influential people are treating every case of coronavirus as a disaster then we this will eventually ultimately collapse into the thing that I don't want to happen, which is the moralizing grandstanding bullshit about how if you don't get your kids the vaccine, then you're a fucking monster, that's, right? Yeah, like, I hope that does not happen because that's ridiculous. I mean, again, if if it's a make it available, promote it, but you get fifty percent of those kids, seventy percent, ninety percent, it's not going to make a difference to the overall number. It's just, what's going to stop? What's going to stop Gavin Newsom in California, who's already mandated it for teenagers? What's going to stop him from mandating it? Uh, mandating to, it or to the, include, to the eleven and under but set? Is it man? Isn't it just basically adding it to the already existing list of other vaccines? Because that would be that's probably going to happen everywhere eventually. Maybe in some places it's going to take longer to get there, but we already have a process in place to where. To go to public school, there are some kids don't have to get flu shots. There's no, there's no, va- there's no mandate for a flu vaccine, and and like right, but not a flu vaccine, no. But like for the other, I mean, yeah, but that's but COVID th- I mean, has, until COVID, this becomes COVID, a childhood vaccine, it's not COVID, right? So first of all, COVID. I mean, and I'm not trying to be vaccine truther, COVID right. truther guy here. Right. COVID has killed fewer than 200 children in the age range that we're talking about. Right. It's killed fewer children than regularly die of the flu every single flu season. Right. right? There's, a, there's an amount of risk that we need to be willing to tolerate as a population as a trade-off for not having the sorts of heightened uh, political existential warfare all the fucking time. Right. Right. It's, this should not turn into that. I, I will say I think one of the concerns isn't the kids themselves, but they can – the virus can circulate just as easily through them as they can through any other person, right? And so – they can infect somebody like their grandpa or you – know, like, I mean I guess that's the argument they're going to raise. But again, it's not something that you need to make a big thing out of. Maybe right. the people like also- Newsom who thinks I got like a, uh, a mandate after that recall, maybe he'll go through with it. Always got an election next year. But I think most places are just going to be let's just work from the most pressing issues on down. And that's not one of the most pressing issues. Part of it is me anticipating something. Part of it is also that there is an attitude out there in a lot of people that I've encountered that say that anything besides just getting the vaccine is fucking stupid and you are wrong and bad for not doing it, right? Right. And and I was reading – and I'm not reading on like uh, weirdo 
anti-vax websites. I'm reading at the FDA. I'm reading at uh, the CDC and at factcheck.org. And the guy – so there were 15 people on the FDA panel who ultimately uh, voted uni- basically unanimously to approve this for emergency use. And uh, it was actually 14. One of them abstained. And wh- who I will call doctor number 14 is the guy who runs – pediatric infectious disease at Tufts University, right? So not some fucking crank. This is a guy who knows of which he speaks. And the thing that he said was essentially, and I will paraphrase here, but I will post a link to what I'm talking about in the show notes, is that it is not at all irrational for individual parents to decide that they're going to wait a few months at least before getting their kids vaccinated because ultimately young children are not the high-risk group that we initially feared they might be at the start of this pandemic. And because we've only seen a study on approximately 4,000 kids. And yes, while there were no serious side effects and we didn't see any of the things that are most worrisome that we saw in some of the other age groups, including myocarditis and I think it's called periocarditis or something like that. There are conditions in which the heart becomes inflamed. While we didn't see any of that, in this younger age group, we've only checked it in 4,000 kids. So it wouldn't be nuts. It wouldn't be irrational for a parent to decide, I'm going to wait until three or four million other kids have gotten this thing and see what the potential negative side effects are. Like that's not coming from some lunatic on naturalnews.net or what have you. That's not coming from your aunt's Facebook feed. That's coming from the guy who runs the infectious disease ward at Tufts University, who's on this FDA advisory panel, who himself voted for the vaccine to be authorized for emergency use, right? Right. And so for him, and I think it's incredibly important that even though he's the only one, that everybody else who was on that panel was doing the usual sort of public health bullshit speak, which is not to say that they're lying, but they're using statistics and number in such numbers in such a way that it speaks to broad populations instead of speaking to the concerns of an individual parent, right? Which is that a parent has to make a decision for their own kid. They're not making the decision for the community. Right. They're not making the decision for the idiot down the street. And that's that should be encouraged, actually, right? Like, we, we don't want to live in a society in which every parent treats their kid the way Dr. Tony Fauci would treat their kid as a stranger, right? right? You don't want public health officials making individual decisions for your individual family. And and yeah, sure, defer to the experts whenever necessary and whenever possible. But at the same time, it is very important that you give parents that level of autonomy to make these decisions for their own children. Or why are we bothering with the parenthood facade in the first place, right? right? right. Why don't we just force all decisions to be made by the experts, by the people who quote unquote know better? And it's because it's important that parents get to make those decisions for themselves and, and, I, and, and, to, and to moralize and grandstand and be judgmental about it, which, again, I'm projecting what I expect to happen. I'm not quite seeing this yet, except in small little examples, right. I think is, is, is a really terrible way to be in the world. I, I suspect you're right on that. The question I do have, though, is they're the public health people. They couldn't come out and say that because you would be kind of sowing doubt into the safety of it. Like, oh, if parents uh, just want to use three million other fuckers as guinea pigs to see how this whole plays out, do so. It's like, well, wait a minute. 
you guys looked into the data, right? This is a safe thing for the first 3 million kids that are going to take it, right? So, like, I think naturally parents are going to sort into different, like, risk groups, and they're going to make the decisions how they're going to make it. And I don't think any sort of, like, hey, if you want to just wait to see it, no one dies, we recommend you do that too. That's going to do more harm than good because people are going to say, wait a minute, I thought you said this is fine. And now you're saying maybe it's not fine? I think that people can make decisions for themselves in a relatively intelligent way for the most part. And if you don't believe that or if you think that 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 is just me having a convenient position, a position of convenience here that, that reinforces what the way that I want the world to be rather than the way that the world is, well, then fine. But you want to live in a really weird world of top-down systemic authoritarian control that is not any way that anyone is going to tolerate living at, at this point anyway. Right. So – so whatever. There's another article that I'll I'll put a link to in the show notes that sort of set me off on this path, which is a guy who founded the or was one of the first people at the COVID tracking project through the Atlantic. His name is Alexis Madrigal. He's a, a writer for the Atlantic, has written extensively about COVID for the last two years, right? And the Atlantic has had some very terrific coverage about the pandemic on the one hand and some like completely insane coverage about the pandemic on the other. And his latest article, which I'll link to, falls into the category of the more completely insane. And I'll just summarize it quickly here, which is that Alexis Madrigal, this guy who has been super cautious and super careful about contracting COVID for the last 18 or 20 months, I'm double vaccinated, I've gotten my booster, and I finally decided that I was going to attend a wedding in New Orleans the end of October or the middle of October or something like that. And the long story short is that he ends up contracting COVID while on this trip. And he he gets home, he isolates, he, he tests himself, and the uh, further long story short, he does not spread his disease to anyone else. His family is perfectly safe. They all test out negative, and uh, he spends a long weekend in a rental, which, of course, he is quick to say what a pri- how privileged yeah. he is mm-hmm. that he's able to do that. But the, the bottom line of his story is we must continue to be ever vigilant because uh, this nightmare can strike any of us. When the, 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 the correct reading of that fact pattern that Alexis went through is what a fucking rousing success right. this was a th- success that actually story. was. Right. Because it mitigated and then it prevented further spread, right? I mean, basically it did. I mean, it's kind of hard to say if it did anything, but like it benefited him that he would vaccinate it and he went out living his life. I, I don't understand that article. And and good news. He's now got probably six months of like super strong immunity to COVID, right? right? In a way that a lot of people who don't get the vaccine won't have or, or, or won't get the virus won't have. Like it could have the same exact facts could have been framed in, in just a slightly 90 degree turn way to say, wow, we can really sort of just start to reopen the world here because, yes, COVID is a scary disease for the people who get it really bad. But if you're vaccinated and you're uh, a moderately healthy person and you're surrounded by other vaccinated people, this is just something we're going to have to live with for the next at least two or three or five years. We don't know. We cannot possibly know the future. But we are not going – what we do know is that – uh, the vast majority, like something like 80% of the country, is not going to tolerate 
the sort of measures that are still being practiced in these small, weird, little, liberal, blue enclaves around the country where people are still living as though the pandemic is basically is still going full-blown back in, in March and April of, of 2020. Not in liberal Atlanta, it's not. Right. Not in Atlanta. Not in Georgia. Not in huge swaths of the country. Largely, COVID panic still exists in elite media circles more yeah. than anywhere else. And I don't know to whose benefit it is to continue acting as though COVID zero is an achievable reality. And yet a large portion of the narrative from the media is about that rather than how are we going to be able to live with this for the next three years. There's no scenario the zero thing is going to happen. It's done. No. It's done. Right. And my kids are vaccinated. Great. In three weeks, they'll be fully vaccinated. And that will be even better. But probably, like, and still, so I haven't gotten the booster yet. I think that I was first eligible for the booster two weeks ago. Because I don't think we are. I mean, eligible I mean, is different than... You can say that you made some random thing, but yeah, I don't think... Right, no, according, according to this, a strict reading of the guidelines, I'm not eligible because I do not work in a high-risk or high-exposure profession. But if you're a grocery store worker who was first vaccinated six months ago, then you are now currently eligible once again to get your booster shot. And that's the other thing is they just don't know exactly don't know. what a good plan would be. Yeah, my my parents got vaccinated. I took them to get vaccinated last week. I'll, for, I'm just going to get it in January because I think by then it's going to be open to everybody, everybody. Like, Because yeah. some states are already doing that. But until that. when Moderna says to me, hey, you should probably get a booster, that's when I'll do it. You're not going to mix but and match? Until- You're going to get the same? No, I mean, whatever. Yeah. It's, I don't like this, you are eligible. Like, do do I need it? Right. Should I get it? Right. Because if I don't need it, why bother? Right. You should tell me, though, if I need it. Right. I don't like this gray area of you are eligible after X months. Yeah. They need to tell me what to do. Yeah, basically. Because they told me the first yeah. time what to do. Yeah. Because it seems now it's like it could hurt, right? So just get it. Like, they can't. Well, but I I don't want to just get things. Right. right. Also, like last time, it did fucking hurt. I was on my ass for two <laughs> days. Like, for a day, which I'd be happy right. to do again if I have to. Right. Like, it's not a problem. It wouldn't, whatever, it sucked. That was awful. But it wouldn't prevent me from get, from having that exact experience again right. if it was a good idea. Yes. But if it's just for fun, yeah. like it wasn't yeah. fun. Right. right. And like, and part of me, yeah, I will eventually get the booster as well. But I have come to accept and expect that at some point I'm going to get the coronavirus, whether it's this year or next year or in five years. It's just something that we're going to live with yeah, because you can't it does get not. It while I still have to work. Sure. So. It does not offer perfect <laughs> protection. And, and neither will it offer perfect protection for my children. Yeah, but children. I can't afford to not work for two weeks. Yes, so until I understand that ends. All of, I understand all of that. But part of this is figuring out a way that just because I have COVID, that you can, in fact, go to work. Because you're vaccinated, yeah. because you're testing but out But right totally now, that's fine. not the case. Sure. Pra- the practicality does matter. Right. And, but the way to fix the practicality is to get the people in charge of defining okay. the narrative reality of the situation yeah. you do to, that. To, 
to be more honest about uh, what our situation is, and that's not what we're seeing right now. Too many cooks in the kitchen is a problem. Right, but so, but in your day to day life, COVID functionally no longer exists. Oh right? yeah, down there, yeah. there's babies. I mean, you know, it's been six months since Memorial Day. I mean, this thing is it's been smooth sailing. You know, I think this weekend I'm going to be going to some um, Hawks game and like the Falcon. You know, it's fine. Right. Our kids get tested now every Thursday. They finally they finally got that going, which is fucking brilliant. It's the sort of thing that should have been done at the very start of all of this, right? That they could have all gone back to school and that if we just spent the money on doing the tests, we would have a much better idea right. of what the actual problem was, right? And and it's great. I love that they get tested every Thursday. They're there's only like two or three kids in each of their classes that are getting tested with them. It's available to everyone, but they only they only made the push once. And I don't know why the school isn't every week sending out a piece of paper that says, hey, you could be getting free COVID tests for your kid every single week, and we will do that for and you. And we get the results the next day. Oh, yeah, we nice. get the results the next day. It's not a rapid test. It's a real test. Wow. The, the PCR thing? you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. Really great. More information is better. Right. And that that's the life that we need to be comfortable with for the next three years, right? That's where we need to go is we need to be saying, hey, if you're going to go to school, like at least half of you should be getting tested right. every other week, something like that. Isn't that what they're doing in the UK? Or they have just a fuck ton of tests that people get that is priced in uh, so they don't pay anything. It's like two tests a week or whatever, and they get to like test themselves. You can go to the pharmacy in a number of different European countries, from what I understand, and you can buy a home test for like a dollar a pop. Here, if you can find them, they're like seventeen dollars yeah, like a pop, bucks. and most and mostly they're heard. not available anyway. In these anyway. other countries, healthcare is universal and paid for. Yeah. It's this weird thing that other civilized nations different have. value systems here. We got the freedom mm. to fail. Lauren. Preventative health is something we don't do in America. Yes, we don't do it. That's true. We've never done it. Anyway, let's wrap up here by quickly talking about uh, the Rittenhouse trial and the Ahmad oh, Arbery trial. Oh, it's too late. Fun, Just leave fun, it. I don't think fun. there's a lot to say here. Abe, what's your quick takes on, on those two trials? No scenario where the Rittenhouse guy gets convicted. No scenario where those three yokels down here in Georgia get off. So basically it's going to be a split kind of thing. Although the, the news is treating it as if like, there is some doubt into the Rittenhouse. I mean, if you look at all of the stuff that happened before, it's kind of gross because it seems like he was kind of like looking for trouble. But that goes out the, you know, just you can't take that into consideration where in the moment the person was like fleeing or like, oh, things kind of got out of control and people are like running after him and like. Yes, but, but Abe, Abe, he crossed state lines. Right. But this, I mean, you can do all of the other things. You can Cross no, state. no, Abe, Abe, he, he crossed state lines. Right. He did. <laughs> Which is, the, the thing is, okay, just focus on this. Let's say he crossed state line. Let's say he had animus in his heart. Let's say all of, like, all of the bad. If he is in this situation where he found himself in, you're saying just get pummeled to death, take the beating? Like, don't in any way defend yourself? Is that not just the beating? There was a gun. Yeah, to his that's head what I'm saying. By... Basically, he was going to get pummeled and then <laughs> right. shot. Maybe like is that like you can't expect that to be the only option for him. It is right. tragic that anyone died. I think he was kind of like trying to play cop or whatever. So all of his motivations are whatever. But like on the issue of whether or not he was in a position to defend himself, 
it's kind of hard to get around that because the alternative would have been. Right. Like, and here's here's the problem is that he went into a chaotic and largely lawless situation. Right. And something chaotic and largely lawless happened. But unfortunately, we need to apply non-chaos and the law right. to what was a chaotic and lawless situation, which doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel particularly like justice, right? right? But nevertheless, he's not going to be convicted for murder when he was clearly under physical threat and imminent harm to himself. Right. Like, it's just not going to happen. The outstanding issue, which is an issue that, that I raised when the Trayvon Martin uh, thing happened in Florida, which is there is this opportunity for, for bad actors to exploit self-defense laws to do something that they wanted to do anyways, right? So in that Trayvon Martin thing, I mean, there's no video like there is here, right? It's the so, first season of South Park you're referring to. What, what's that? Season number one, yeah. goddamn but, 30 years ago or whatever But basically was. this guy's like neighborhood watch, right? And he's, uh, you know, hey, this guy doesn't belong here or whatever, you know, the reason was. He had a gun on him, right? So he was taking chances that if things go sideways, I can just shoot myself out of this situation. The other person doesn't know that, right? So like if I am armed, I can talk all the shit. Like, oh, Georgia Tech, those bums, they're shitty engineers. And then these frat boys come after me like, oh, look at that. Uh, you know, I'm in distress. Time to shoot myself right. out of it. So in that moment, I am acting in self-defense. But is there any sort of system we can come up with where there could be some punishment for creating the environment to where self-defense is your out, right? But on the issue of, right. you know. If, and if, if there is, I still don't think that can apply to the Rittenhouse situation. Right. Like, did he, did he make a good decision? No, he clearly did not make a good decision. But he didn't create the environment. He put himself into the environment. He put himself into the he, environment. In the, yeah, correct. But he, he didn't create the scenario in which a bunch of violent and lawless people were running around. Right. He stupidly inserted himself but, into the scenario where a bunch of violent and lawless people were running I, around again, and, became, and became one of them as well. But what if you, Bob, were just hell-bent on killing somebody and you spy an opportunity in Kenosha? Like, oh— Things are going sideways. Let me get my gun. And, you know, if something were to happen, if somebody looked at me sideways, if the conditions were ripe for me to claim self-defense, I'll kill somebody. Like, again, I'm making this up because we know what's in your mind, right? So you right. can have people take advantage of situations, and there is really no remedy in law because they'll look at that case and say, he didn't create this situation. Bob was there. Those people were attacking him, and he mowed him down. Self defense, go home, right? And so, like, there is like this weird, perverse kind of like loophole that exists. But unfortunately, until something changes in the law, you would have to quit, right? I mean, I just don't see a scenario where he can be convicted on the, right. the main charges. And and that is going to shock and horrify a large percentage of the Twitter literati who are convinced. Like Hakeem Jeffries, a Democratic congressman, said that we need to lock up Kyle Rittenhouse and throw away the key, right? Like there's there's absolute moral clarity and, way, and certainty of purpose he, on the other side here about the fact that, that Kyle Rittenhouse is a white supremacist. And by the way, you, this is one of those things that is going to shock people. He killed three white people right. or shot rather. Shot, he yeah. shot rather three white people. Right. 
That's why I don't understand <laughs> were, why there's all this concern about there's going to be some sort of uh, reaction in the street. Like, I don't think anything's going to come of this. I don't know. The media has made a huge, huge deal out right, of this. The essential components. Despite uh, the fact that he's obviously going to be acquitted. And, uh, and then 1,500 miles away in Georgia, down in your neck of the woods, Ahmad Arbery's killers are going to be convicted. Right. An acquittal right? there it, would be disaster, right? Because it, the evidence doesn't support it. And also yeah. the dynamic is different, right? But that's not the case. In, I think it's going to be, oh, that fucker got right. away with which, it. it was which, by the way, say. down in Georgia, you have a, a situation where, I said this earlier before we started recording, it's like an actual textbook right. explanation <laughs> of what white supremacy in a systemic sort of way can look like in small town Georgia, right? right? Where you have these three idiots, uh, one who used to be a cop, who are deciding to enforce the law as citizens as they see it the law being that uh you can't be black in our neighborhood kid right, right? and because there's been some break-ins around here and you don't look like you belong here we're going to pull a gun on you and and make sure that the law handles you properly and that if you fight back or if you object to being detained by us with our weapons then we get to fucking kill you right. and then and then the local fuzz the local sheriff's office is not remotely interested in prosecuting the case right. and recuses themselves every six ways from Sunday. And the local pro- half the local prosecutors do the same thing because they have too many ties right. in the community to the idiots who committed the crime. There's your system of white supremacy. And yet, and yet they're going to be convicted, right? right? So even though we have this, this awful system where these three idiots believe that they can do the thing that they did and are putting forward a defense that they're completely innocent of, of the charges rather than pleading guilty and hanging their heads in shame for the the thing that they did, which is obviously an absurd hypothetical that I'm creating there. But those guys are going to be convicted. And that's not at all part of this media narrative. Instead, it's all about systemic white supremacy and the fact that the idiot teenager in in Wisconsin is going to get off for having shot a bunch of fucking lunatic, violent looters on the streets of Kenosha. Right. The the, the problem I see is after the acquittal, uh, I suspect elements on the militia side of the right will basically point to him as some sort of hero, right? Like, and he'll probably be in the circuit where he's like being shown and he's like waving his hand and all that shit. And it'll be very obnoxious, right? Like, Oh, he's still yeah, up sure. for, he's the worst. Yeah. He'll be, he'll be hired to be a, the youth correspondent for Fox news or what right. have you before the year is out. And that, that will be disgusting and terrible. Uh, but we can't build a system of justice around whether or not the worst elements of society are going to be happy that the the law was applied correctly right. in so this one case. We're in agreement. 100% lock. No scenario. That's right. All right. Let's do Squid Game. Ooh. Abe. We... For fuck's sake. What? It is very late. Yeah, we'll do Squid Game quickly. Isn't... Did... We watched Squid Game. We did, Abe. We watched Squid Let's Game. We that. finished Squid Game, finally, because there was no more sports to watch. I suspect That's y- you true. guys heard the Korean audio and read instead of the no, other... No, we, we, we read... Yeah, heard Korean audio. Okay. Yeah, except for in those... Okay, so by the way, uh, this show's been out for two months now or something like that. It's on you. You had your chance. Right. Heavy spoilers here for the next five or ten minutes. Yes, we listened to the Korean audio track... And read the English subtitles, except for in episodes like seven and eight or eight and nine, when the elite weirdos in the oh, Kubrickian yeah, the masks show up. 
Oh, yeah, when boy. they speak English, they were horrible. That was terrible. That was so bad. Like, <laughs> that was it. Completely removed me from what was happening. These like super hammy, totally overdoing it with their. Boy, we sure are a bunch of corrupt elite assholes, aren't we? From what I read, it seems like that's not uncommon in Korean shows where, like, just like the Westerners are Isn't like. Isn't that just what they, Americans are? Yeah, they just hired just some shitty actors and they speak in this shitty way. Very not convincing. It was terrible. Yeah. Did you, did you like it overall? Was it too violent? I liked it until the end. I liked it all the way up until the end. End sucked. I wish someone had warned me that the end sucked so much. <laughs> that is what. When the, you say that the end sucked, what what specifically do you mean about the end sucking? The fuck. Okay, it's the same thing. Whenever I watch a thing and I get to the end and I think, well, what do you want from me? Yeah. That's how. It, like what? Basically, they're saying, oh, there'll be a season two. You know, that seems. No, I don't even want. I got nothing yeah. from that. I got nothing from that. I would have preferred it ended and we didn't even see what happened after. Right. My, my, my reaction was like, this guy is the worst father ever. Like, any opportunity <laughs> to not... Like, he did all that <laughs> and at the end, like, fuck he it, does. I'm he going take, back. At, he takes every opportunity <laughs> to not be a good dad. A degenerate gambler. Like, the Korean girl... The North Korean girl... Her story makes sense. You, the you could you could paint him as having killed four hundred and fifty five innocents yep. just to get back to his family, <laughs> only to walk up to the door behind which his family was standing and say, "Yeah, I'm going to need to do some more killing. I'm going to have to turn around and do some more killing instead." He's just a hopeless degenerate gambler. Just poor. So choice. I will say that. I did enjoy the show. I think it is probably the case that the show peaked at episode six. Which and epi- is that the ep- marbles? Episode six is the marbles episode. Yeah, that was one of the best episodes of TV we've ever watched. The, the one that brown was guy was uh, portrayed as a dumb dumb. Like I don't know how he fell for that ruse, where he's like, "Oh, let me just hold on to your marbles." And then he replaced it with like rocks. That's the episode, right? And then yeah, Ali, yeah that episode. Episode. That yeah. was a really good episode. Yeah, that was good. But then also the glass jumping one was good. The you know, the way that episode looked was very cool. The only thing that the episode where they go across the glass bridge had going for it was this, was its aesthetics. The rest of it was fucking stupid and so and, they didn't and terrible. Research the fact that one of them was like into like glass, and he's like, oh, I can suss this out. I can look at the glass and figure out if it's right but no you're right i think the first six episodes were stronger than it just kind of ended in this like oh this cop is looking into it and this idiot degenerate so that's the other thing is that the b plot the b plot fucking sucked with the the cop who sneaks onto the island and it turns out that it's his brother his brother shoots him Boy, if the man running the show if i ever go back to like help one of my fucking siblings and they shoot me i would not he, he wasn't helping. <laughs> I thought he was. Like, oh, my brother's missing, and this fucking guy is into yeah, it. Yeah, the brother didn't want to be found. Right. I didn't know that at the time. Also, but also, it also, doesn't make any sense. Uh, it's not clear why exactly the brother who won in uh, four or years ago, yeah. $30 million U.S. dollars four years ago, was still living in like his college dorm room apartment so or something to and failing to pay the rent. You know, he can't be blinging it up. But then... 
Like, does it get passed down and then back to him? Yeah. It, none of it made sense. And that old geezer, number one, who was like on the, t- he was behind the whole thing. Was he also like? Was this the first time he was participating, just to kind of see what it was like? <laughs> I think. I think that yes. So the old man. This was the first time that he was participating. I don't think that the old man was ever in any actual danger. Right. There are clues throughout that there was a way for him to escape being shot or killed in every single one of the games. Except the tug of rope. How would he have gotten away from that? Except that he also had, it must be said, he knew the secret of how to win at tug at, at, at tug of war no matter There's what. There's no way that that would work in real life. Just give in and then... You just fall in. That is the exact right method no, to no, win that in tug is, that of war. That would work. No, you brute strength like is the you, right method. It's like Bob. when you almost punch someone and they flinch, and then you punch them again. Yeah. It's the same thing, but with no. Rope. But the problem is, if you if you seed ground, you won't you lose the momentum, and it'll be hard to then regain it. But you know, whatever. Well, next time you come visit, we'll play. <laughs> no, it's a great. It was a it was a it was a good series. The thing that I found sort of weird about not weird about it but like we talk in terms of big themes here also i think that the the reveal at the end of the old man being behind the whole thing retroactively ends up robbing yes episode six of, of a lot of sucked. its emotional the end weight sucked. Uh, i also think that because we're stupid fucking americans we're very bad at sussing out when the show is telling us that our hero is not a hero, right? Right. Like, I never thought <laughs> the degenerate gambler was a good dude, but at least I thought Sure, he- but I think that most people watching this show thought that the protagonist was a good guy and were happy that he won because he is the good guy, right? right? That that, And certainly when compared to a lot of the other bad people in the show, yeah. he sort of comes across as the more compassionate, the more humane of them. That woman who was like hamming it up also, not a particularly – that was a weird choice on her part, just flailing about throughout the whole show. The gangster's girlfriend, yeah. basically. Yeah. I forget what her yeah. name was. Yeah, she uh, – I don't know. I'm sure that that's a cultural yeah. thing. Like the, I, <laughs> Apparently, a lot of the mistranslation was her her dialogue. Okay. There's, yeah. like, oh, there's more nuance in her dialogue than than we can pick up on, especially with the – Subtitles. Sure. And so this comment that I'm about to make is, of course, Uh sort of caveated by the fact that we're speaking strictly in terms of how I experienced it with my particular cultural background rather than should always preface everything with that bob that's <laughs> sure. good so but putting putting aside the relevant cultural factors that could change the interpretation for a korean audience i found the idea that there is this big sort of all controlling and entirely unaccountable elite institution that's able to do this without any fear without any reasonable fear whatsoever of retribution from any other structure as sort of an interesting commentary on the current state of the culture. To tie it into my theory about another show, True Detective, and I think that this theory is actually, I've never written this out into a proper essay. At some point, I will go back and watch the three seasons of True Detective and explain in more detail what I'm about to say. But I think that there's an overriding theme that ties all of True Detective together, which is that Despite appearances to the contrary, 
there actually is no grand conspiracy. There is no system of perfect control or even imperfect control that is able to pull all of the strings to keep these sorts of conspiracies alive and going. And that most things, even things that appear clouded in or shrouded in like the occult weirdness and the the high elite strangeness of, of like weirdos and masks and sort of thing that you saw both in True Detective and you see in Squid Game that really in True Detective, that's just people that we don't have access to indulging in normal and gross human behavior, right? That it's just shitty human beings who happen to have more resources than your average human being doing bad things, but that there's some sort of system or marionette thing going on where these people, in addition to having gross human impulses that leads to gross human behavior, are also controlling all the levers of power in society to the point that they can make uh, everything disappear or they can control everything, that that's not actually happening. Yeah. And I think that that's what every season of True Detective ultimately concludes, is that they build these big, strange, weird cases where, like, is the governor secretly running some sort right. of sex cabal right. uh, for children? It's like, no, it's just some fucking weirdo in the woods, as it turns yeah. out. And maybe they were related to the governor in some way. But if there is that sort of system of all-knowing control, uh, we'll, we're certainly never going to fucking figure it out, <laughs> right. right? If that's the case, then it's completely self-defeating as a, as a plot mechanism, right. right? And I think that it's weird because there's an aspect of what's going on in Squid Game that says that, yes, you're right to believe all of the craziest shit you believe about the way the world works, right? right? That. There are elite institutions of complete and total control that can make 500 people disappear from a relatively small country and nobody will ask any fucking questions about right. it, right? And that's fucking insane, right. right? But it plays directly into the sorts of narratives that we're supposed to be uncomfortable with in this country, yeah. right? It plays directly into a sort of QAnon conspiracy type of thinking. And and it plays directly into, if to look at it from the other side of the ideological spectrum, these ideas about white supremacy, these ideas about the patriarchy, and the way that there are systems of control that we can't possibly overcome because they're so fully ingrained in the culture that we don't even see them at work, right? right? Like, there are these grand conspiracies of total control over human behavior and squid game seems to play right into those hands and i wonder how much of that is what led to it being so popular here right. like it became a huge part of the culture for just yes a brief amount of time yeah that happens sometimes i mean you, you know all it takes is the right few different kinds of people to latch on to it right yeah but for it to become just wildly and there's not a lot of else going yeah on. it's kind of like the the home run hit. Everything has to kind of, everything has to happen at the right yeah. time. Just like with that Tiger King at the oh, beginning of the what pandemic. A beautiful tie-in to right. the beginning and of the episode. I, I will say the imaginations run wild, and that's why I never bought into basically any conspiracy except the ones that I make up, because what people are doing is that they're identifying a single point of failure that like either one or very few people are causing all this damage, which is concerning. But also, if we toppled that few or that single point of failure, we're back to good, right? Instead of the reality being there's a lot of fucked up people decentralized and spread out and pressing one button or fixing one thing isn't going to fix all the other issues. Like I think people like right. set it up in such a way to where like 
it's this very elite small group, and if we get to them, everything falls apart. It's like the that goofy Game of Thrones season eight where it's like, oh, stab that one guy, and everybody else goes down because it's all connected. People want that to be true, and it's not. Right. And that's why I think it's interesting that we are, as a culture, likely to misinterpret the behavior of the victims of this game, the 456 or 455 unwilling, essentially, participants of this game. I think the show is actually secretly or not, or not so secretly more contemptuous of the players of the game than I think is widely understood, especially speaking in terms of the main protagonist, the guy who's a, the degenerate gambler who can't help himself. I don't think that he's redeemed like i don't i don't think that he's particularly he can be understood to be the good guy and i think that i, I think that part some of what i yeah, think he just is kind of got lucky right because there's there's not really anybody who's there who's an absolute unequivocal good except maybe the, the, the girl who's trying girl. to yeah right who's trying to sneak her family out of north korea even the immigrant guy like yeah. acts like an idiot yeah. when he, he goes back to work it. and yeah. shoves his boss's hand in the in the metal grinder yeah. or whatever it is and this is a show that even though it's supposed to be about the evils of capitalism or whatever like the or at least the way that it's being presented in american media is that Doesn't this is not seem a, like it's against the evils of capitalism at all well, that's the way it's been interpreted in a lot of the cultural commentary there's about there's not it. a lot of purchasing well they, in basically the show. they're saying that Money is causing these people to to go through these extreme measures to obtain it in order for lack of money. Lack of money is doing that. Yeah, right. They're blaming the system when every single one of these individuals can be clearly said to be the author of their own demise. Yeah, there are a lot of self-inflicted wounds. I mean, the the degenerate gambler, the other guy who was, I guess, embezzling funds from his company, and yeah, right. To to tie it to one last thing, it's. I think it's the same misinterpretation that we had as a culture about the movie Parasite from a few oh, I years didn't see ago. It. You did or did not? In, it, I haven't. Oh, okay. It's I did. I did the see it. Saw it. It was a good movie, but most people understood that movie to be about something that I don't think it was about. Most people thought that it was about how down on their luck this one family of pores was, and that they were just taking what they could in a world that wasn't made for them or I what it have was you. The parasitical relationship between the two, the have and the have nots. Is that not what that movie was about? That these right if. Rich fucks basically right, but the, these poor. The, the poor people, the, the the grifters in that are not the upper middle class people uh, whose house they take over, right? right? The grifters are the poor people. Yeah, the poor, yeah. And, and, and that, that was a movie that I think was actually highly critical of the lower class. It's, it, it's a sort of reactionary movie in a way that I don't think that people in this country understood. But, and I think, I, think, I think there's a lot of reactionary politics to be found in Squid Game as well, if you're if you're looking in the right places. A lot of people sidestep that criticism of the poor by saying, "Look what you rich fucks are making these poor fucks do." Like basically, it's like right, right, <laughs> right. You know. Happily stepping right. back and blaming a system over which no one actually exercises any control, but maintains all of the strength. Right. So that's why it's a perfect fucking circular the thing. The white lotus here. thing too. It, again, where all oh, these fucking rich white people steal from them, it's okay. It's a lot of. Right. Yeah. Anyway, you've been listening to Cast Iron Brains, podcast with Bob and Abe. You can find the show on Facebook or Twitter, I guess. <laughs> uh, also, email the show, brainironpodcast at gmail.com. 
The opening and closing themes of the show were composed by Mark Gillig. Some thrilling news. Actually, I don't know if I can say this or not, but I will. As as a listener to the show, you get early uh, news about the band uh, Tetramer. You can find them at uh, tetramermusic.com. The band is going to be re-recording what I have been using as our outro theme is something that Gillig wrote when he was in like high school. He wrote and recorded it when he was like 17 years old this or something like that. very exciting. They're going to redo that song as a Tetramer song. Oh. And wow. I've already told him that because I've been using this as my theme song or the outro theme for, for nigh on decades now – that I immediately am going to preemptively hate whatever the fuck it is that he too, does but, with the new but, song. But what he did with the opening theme was so spot on. It might be, right. it might be awesome. It might be awesome, but it won't be the closing theme That's of Cast true. Iron Brains. But you can't. He can't take this from you. You have it. It's unfungible. No, no, no. This you is can't mine. In it. fact, in fact. Funny story, he asked me to send him my copy of the song because oh, nice. he couldn't find his copy of the song so that when they <laughs> are going to re-record it That's great. and rewrite it, he needed my version. Nice. Real quick here, what movies have you seen the last month that no. we've been away? So this will be real quick. Uh, I went to go see Dune, really good, especially in, in Dolby. They're doing this stupid two-part thing, so they're just setting things up. But even the right, setup, it's a whole it's a whole movie that it needs the second movie. Yeah. And but they are making the second movie, so good but news. The movie in Dolby is like perfect. But what I wanted to actually bring up was during our little uh, brief hiatus, I went <laughs> I went to the Fox Theater to see your boy Bill Maher live, right? Me and a friend. Uh <laughs> and Ew. Yeah. Wait, like rat fuck Bill yeah. Maher? No, Ew. Bill no, Maher. Ma- Maher. Real time, sorry. Maher. Yeah, not, the Attorney oh, General. Oh, Bill Maher. <laughs> Forgive that'd me. That would be yes. funny if Bill Maher had like Gross. a stand-up show. But it was like 20 minutes in, I realized, oh my God, I am in the Bill Maher audience. You know, and it was like the exact same obnoxious yeah, audience as, as the TV audience. Uh, for some reason, I thought, oh, these are my people, Atlanta people. They'll know when to applaud, no. you know. But they were hooting right. and hollering the same stupid fucking things. <laughs> it was uh by the way i could do bill maher's uh stand-up uh special uh it's all of the stuff you've heard even if you don't watch every episode it's all of the same points uh but despite so all his stand-up his stand-up is like the first 10 minutes of real time yes it's fleshed out but he sometimes will take points from the panel like if he makes like a good point he must have like a no oh bring this up on the stand-up show but maybe it's his age but he has like a easel or whatever where he has like a, a set list of his jokes, but it's like the oh, most. Oh Jesus! Oh Trump, this, uh, this, that. You know, it's like the same Bill Maher jokes. What do you think that is? So this is the same sort of conversation that we have around uh, the Drew Brees guy. Like, what is like Drew Brees goes on television? Why? Right. Like, it's just completely inexplicable. Like. Bill Maher's got fuck you TV money. Right. Why is he, he still needs... going and doing a tour at the Fox Theater in Atlanta? He needs... To interact with people. I think that he's just like uh, one of these people that needs to have an audience to say his dumb shit. Because he lives, you know, he's no. not married, didn't have any kids, right? So it's like, this is my highlight. I go out to like a jam-packed full of... He's got not shit else to right. do. Yeah. That's why. I, just, I, I do not... I, I can completely not identify with like that grasping need for attention. And this is... That is why you are not famous. <laughs> that is <laughs> yeah. certainly... Among the reasons. 
That yeah, is this... like chief among the reasons <laughs> that you are having a podcast in the basement of your house that your friends and brothers listen to is because you don't care what the masses think of you. Yeah. And you don't want their attention and you won't. Yeah. In fact, I actively don't want yeah. the attention. So, so it's just like a, let's just go to bed. Fair. Okay. <laughs> Abe, you uh, got anything else for us tonight? Nope. I guess that's all we've got for tonight, then, and we will talk to you next time. Later. Is Dune really the only movie that you've seen in the last month? No, I've seen others, but they were atrocious. I didn't want to bring them up. Uh, I forget. What else? Did, no, what else no, did you no, see? no, it's time to go to bed. <laughs> we're going to go to bed soon. I want to know what fucking movies you saw. I went to go see... Actually, I think I'm going to be unfair about this, because I, I just was in the right state of mind, but I went to go see The French Dispatch, and... I just was like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm not into this. Uh, I went to go see Eternals, terrible movie. Spencer, the Diana, whatever, terrible Uh movie. Uh, Last (laughs) Night in Soho was okay. And then uh, Dune. Nice. uh, It is among the least surprising things in the world that you would not have the patience for a Wes Anderson movie. Right, but I get I'm gonna circle back. I'm gonna circle back in particular. I just was I'm like I'm I'm not paying attention. I'm not absorbing any of this information. Um so I'll watch it again. But the first uh, go around, not good. I love I've I've never not liked a Wes Anderson movie, I don't think. I I don't understand the criticism of Wes Anderson. He makes interesting joyless assholes and unique <laughs> movies. It no, that's it. There's de- people who hate stuff. Def- it's definitely, just, it's easy. Definitely unique. All, All right. right. Good talk. Good night. Talk to you later. The quarterback sucks. Okay, the quarterback sucks. He's uh, anybody who's what and it was in, it's infuriating. Right now. It's pretty good. It's infuriating because you listen to the commentators and they're like, "Oh, oh he, know, he just wins. Right. Can't argue with the results here." <laughs> it's like, no, you can actually. Process matters, uh, Gary. Yeah. And <laughs> and Stetson is bad at football. Stetson stands back there, and first of all, if. Uh, a freight train of another human being is running at him unabated to the quarterback. He he spends the first three seconds of that just staring directly into the oncoming uh, face of his own demise. No, I'm telling you, he drives the wrong way on a highway with his lights off. That's his <laughs> thing. Processing the incoming information, Bob. No, he he's gets, just, he, he has, wants it. He's a, he's a quarterback who knows who's going to get the ball before the ball is snapped. Right. And if that's not there, he's in big fucking trouble. Right. And that you can say, oh, well, he just makes it happen with his legs. It's like, no, he should be standing there and going to the next uh, read in his progression and then throwing the ball to that person. But the problem is that every single one of his throws is slow and late. And it's only because we play bad teams that we're not being exposed for the frauds that we are on offense. Right. That is a one glaring hole. Like if, if there's any sort of, oh, shit, what went wrong? It would be. The offense, the defense, like being behind, and then like Stetson just dicking around, not being able to do anything. Yeah, and then we'll put in JT Daniels in the second half and crush their fucking souls. <laughs>